Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In Nana Menza's beautifully realized feature film debut, Queen of Glory, Sarah Obang, played by Nana Mensa, a doctoral student at Columbia, is weeks away from following her very married boyfriend to Ohio when her mother dies suddenly. Her inheritance, a small but beloved Christian bookstore in the Pelham Parkway section of the Bronx where she was raised in the tight-knit Guianan immigrant community. From there, the film takes off in many different directions, including her relationship to the employee who is part of the Christian bookstore, to her boyfriend, to her father, and so much more. The film is called Queen of Glory, and we're joined today by the director, writer, and lead actor, Nana Menza. Nana, welcome Hi. to Film School. Hi, welcome. One of the things I truly appreciate about Queen of Glory is the opportunity to spend some time in the Ghanaian community, the immigrant community in New York City. It's such a beautifully rendered part of the film. Get an opportunity to understand that community a little bit better and all the relationships that unfold in in her life, in Sarah's life, um, and how they play out. What inspired this film? I think one of the things that is the most interesting about our journey is that with this film, it was, it's kind of Machiavellian in the way that it, like the origin story. I was seeing folks like Lena Dunham and Issa Rae who were making lower resourced independent films as a means of, of like establishing some sort of calling card to, as a jump off to make other stuff at a, at a higher, at a better resource level. In speaking with other filmmakers and, and watching other people's trajectories, one of the common denominators was like your first film like, yes, maybe Steven Spielberg plucks your script out of a pile and decides to go make it for $100 million. But generally, that is not most people's path. And mostly, when you are starting out, one of the things that is very prudent to do is write something around things that you can get for cheap or free. And so um, I was fortunate enough to have family that owned a Christian bookstore in the Bronx. And so, and so I wrote a story about a Christian bookstore in the Bronx. And so I know that that's not maybe the sexiest answer, but it was like, you know, I, I used what I had at my disposal. And I, and, and so though the story is not like autobiographical by any means, it's very much a work of fiction. I was able to lean really heavily on my family in terms of sourcing locations and actors and mm -hmm. costumes and set deck. And that's how this film got made, frankly, because I tried to go the, the, the higher budget route, but shopping the script script around and trying to take meetings and just a lot of people didn't get it and a lot of people didn't understand that uh, they felt like telling a story about it you know a dark comedy about a christian bookstore in the bronx in this Ghanaian american community um would be too nuanced and one of the things that's been amazing about our festival run and everything is like seeing people come up to me who are from China and Ecuador and Bangladesh and being like, oh my God, this story feels so familiar. And so I think by being hyper-specific and, and really getting at the emotional truth of it, we were able to appeal to, you know, a lot of people. 
I agree with you. And I have this conversation with friends and filmmakers quite often about making a film, making a film that will help you in your career and furtherance of your career. And so often it is the case that you find what's familiar, what you can do with what you know, what resources are available to you. And I also think there's a benefit beyond just getting a film made. If a project like this feels like something that you really have to apply your own creativity and ingenuity to, and which can only help, but you help you as a, as a filmmaker moving forward. Is that fair? Yeah, that feels fair. That feels fair. Yeah. I mean, it is like, it's not show art. It's not show friendship. It's show business. And so <laughs> like, you know, you do have to be a little bit calculating, you know, like I yeah. just, I just think it's kind of like disingenuous to kind of like, gee, shucks, don't know how I got here. It's like, no, no, no. I like, I scrapped really hard to get here. And I just think in terms of pulling the curtain back, like, I, I just think, yeah. I, don't know, I think that's like kind of the right thing to do. Sarah is a wonderful character. She's very relatable immediately. You understand kind of what she's going through. She's at this period of time in her life where she's making some choices, making some plans for the future, making them on, in retrospect, fairly shaky ground on a, on a couple of those options available to her. But nonetheless, she is making those choices and seems to be embarked on her own life. She's in the middle of that process. And uh, and then the rug is pulled out from under her with the death of her mother. Let's talk a little bit about what who Sarah is, and if I'm my description is 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 an, a good description of where she is in her life. Yeah, that feels that feels pretty accurate. I mean, Sarah is uh, highly proficient in her work life and not very proficient at all in her personal life, and I think that uh, that kind of like. Uh, front of house, back of house presentation is interesting to me. Yeah. I have many friends like that who are just kind of messy in their real lives, in their personal lives, but professionally they've got it all together. And I think women like that really fascinate me. I feel really drawn to characters that, that because it's like, I think the most interesting thing about a character is what it is that they hide, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think like, you know, Sarah, knowing how to present but then like the cracks where the cracks, you know, show up and, and it, it kind of takes the form of having an unhealthy relationship to food and specifically carbohydrates and like, you know, and, 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 and the ways that her presentation kind of like shift throughout the film, yeah. I think are really, are really interesting. I think that the characters who present as in some ways invulnerable, and then you start to see those cracks as you would describe them is something that I think pulls people into a story, not only the story, but to the character themselves and understanding what it is that motivates them. And the, it's it, it's an important part of her story. And certainly the fact that she she lives in two worlds in a sense, not at the very, maybe not at the very beginning of the film, but it soon becomes part of the, her story. She grew up in a Ghanaian uh, culture and we see that manifest itself in the arrival of her father back into her life. And so, as I was describing at the very beginning, the dance that we see, the music and the dance we see, I feel like that's Sarah. She's she's dancing as fast as she can through most of the movie, and she doesn't know she's not going to allow herself to grieve. And I, I, that's another thing I loved about the character and the, the way that the character unfolds in this, having living in, if you will, in these two worlds. What sort of before you, before you before we go down that road. I want to ask you a question I should have asked you earlier, which is yeah. writer, director, lead actor. 
was that always the plan? Were you? No, it, okay. no, that was not always the plan. I wrote it. I wrote it, and then was like, somebody fancy's gonna direct it, and somebody fancy's gonna act in it, and nobody fancy wanted to do it. And so then I was like, you know, really kind of dogged, and just it was like, okay, well, I will act in it. Fine, I will do that. And so then I wore that hat and then we were looking at directors and I was interviewing directors and just nobody was interested in telling the story that I wanted to tell. They kept trying to really like weigh it down with like a lot of like strife, you know, and I just like wasn't interested in like, they're like, well, what if the house is like foreclosed on and like right. what if like you know and I'm just like no 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 we're not telling that's not the story that we're telling like I really love I, you know like of course you know my parents immigrated to this country as did their siblings of course their stories had points of conflict that were you know really dark nights of the soul and things like that but also I remember so many more of my aunts and uncles and parents stories of like cultural miscommunications and funny things that happen like oh my god we were so broke but it was temporary like we were just the, and then this happened and da, da, da. and so I just wasn't really interested in like in, in in doubling down on like the trauma narrative of the immigrant story because I know we, it's been done like we've been we've done it and so right. a lot of directors that I spoke to were really pursuing that route and that wasn't that wasn't the vibe and so I, I and, and so uh, then it became really, you know, I spoke to my producers and I was like, what do we do? Like, how do we do this? And um, they were like, I think you have to direct it. And I was like, no. And then I was like, how are you kidding me? It was just like, it was, it was, it was, it seems so unfathomable, but they're very crafty because they got me to start talking about it, about what it would look like, not with the, like the title of director on top of it, but just like, what would it look like? Right. And I was like, and I was like, I could speak about it, like with, you know, a, a fair amount of facility. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm directing this, aren't I? And they were like, mm -hmm. and, I was, <laughs> and so, so I, I was tricked. I was tricked, Mike. That's what happened. I was tricked into directing it. That's great. Let's go back. As I started to ask the question about being living in these two cultures. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with writer, director, and lead actor of the film Queen of Glory, Nana Mensa. It is opening around the country, uh, first in New York. We'll be rolling out here to uh, California on the 22nd. There are a couple of theaters and you'll be able to go to the film movement.com website uh, to find out more about all of that information. Again, going back to, the, we'll finally get to this, the cultures, living in two cultures, the, the impact it has on Sarah's life. I think that there's a duality there. And I think that's something that I'm really interested in, like that we talked about before, of just the front of house, back of house, or like, you know, so who we present versus who's behind the mask. And then also that duality of being, you know, having a foot in two cultures. And so, you know, what is it like to be, to, to not, to feel some distance from being American because when you go home, people are speaking a different language, we're eating different food, uh, you know, observing different traditions and customs. And then, but then also to go to Ghana and have your grandmother call you the American, you know, and it's like, and so, you know, and so just like kind of not really feeling like you're from anywhere, I think is a really common, you know, identity crisis that a lot of first generation kids have. And so I just wanted to kind of flesh that out a little bit more and talk more about that. Yeah, I think that there are a, a, like 
a lot of um, first generation kids. Like I think of, for example, Issa Rae, you know, Issa Rae is a first generation kid that you don't really know about because, you know, she is black, you know, she presents very much as black American, doesn't like talk about the fact that she's Senegalese as well. And like, you know, and so I, I'm, I'm like, well, I want to make a little more space for that. I want to, I want to know about that. Like, you know, that didn't get addressed in Insecure. Like, I want to know more, you know, about, are you feeling what I'm feeling? Like, is that, you know, like, and, and, and so I, I, I kind of did that. Um, uh, an author I love says that kind of like making art is kind of like whispering into the canyon, like, I think life is like this, is it? And then waiting for the response, you know? And so I think that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm hoping that the first generation kids around the world will be like, yeah, it's like that. This is what life is like, you know? I love films that give me an insight into something I had no idea existed and does it in such a way that feels universal. Every yeah. culture has some some variation on on the passage of of people into the next world or whatever you believe, anything that enlightens me in that regard, I'm always drawn to, and I in and that's certainly the case here. Yeah, yeah. So I think like you know, like the one week, the tradition of the one week is just like an immediate opportunity. I mean, there's you know, but she is like um, you know, there's an immediate kind of like wake, and it looks like, especially to Western eyes, it looks like an Irish wake. Maybe there's there like a go. lot of booze, there there's food, there's you know, like whatever, and then. Um, later is is the traditional funeral which is akin to a wedding it requires the same amount of planning and orchestration to a wedding um and, and that's one of the lines in in, in the film and, you know it's like a wedding you're just not invited um and so it's like you're planning your wedding and that is what I grew up you know going to I was like one of those kids like running around like of course maybe wouldn't really know the person who passed away and I was just like playing games with my cousins in the corner and like because also that's the thing is that children are often brought to these events and so like our awareness of funerals and mortality and stuff like that comes very young it's not something that we shield our, our children from in, in, in the same way so yeah I think you're right you do learn a lot about a culture and how they grieve and so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm shining a light on here. The film, don't they make mention of putting it in the newspapers so that if anyone wants to come, I mean, that you would do that no matter, I think, in some, but it felt like it was also an opportunity for a, a gathering of the culture of it as right. well. It's just right. people that's who right. might have known the, the, the deceased. Right. Uh, the, and, the, and listen, even sometimes people who didn't know the deceased, people like the, to turn up for yeah, a brief yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I'm I'm getting to. I think that was just it's an opportunity to, you know, to gather and and to yeah. celebrate. Um the the cast is wonderful. Adam Leon is uh is in it who uh I I actually had on the program for Give Me the Loot. Yeah, he was great. That was a great film. That gives me an opportunity and you can play along or not play along in terms of films that this reminds me of or the work of people that sort of reminds me of. I love the fact that New York and so many of these independent films that I'm drawn to, New York is a character. New York's an important part of the film and the communities that make up um, New York. There was a film that came out earlier this year called Brighton Four. It was about the uh, Russian community and it was a fantastic, I love that. Um, there's another we film. Were, Give me we, we, we came out at the same time at Tribeca. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, okay. We had our coming out parties at Tribeca 2021, Brighton 40. Okay, yeah, I just, I just, it, I would say it shares a, a sensibility about the development of the characters and the look of it, I think. Uh, it, and it also reminds me of Sean Baker's work early on, you know, Take Out, Prince of Broadway. 
you know, yeah. great stuff. And Ramin Barani, I've went, for people who are listening to our conversation, I want them to kind of understand the look of it, the feel of it, the authenticity of the people that you have in it and the way that it unfolds. I, I feel like those are two of my favorite filmmakers, Sean Baker and Ramin Barani. Uh, Ramin Barani. Yeah, yeah me yeah, too. Yeah. Chop shop. So many, you know. Oh. Yeah, great stuff. And great. and again, capturing that, capturing the essence of it. And also one other thing, I feel like I'm rambling here a little bit, but no, one other no, thing. Ramble away, this is great. One other thing, there, this film, in terms of the look of it, the way it was shot, it almost feels like a movie, that an indie movie that would have been made in the 70s. And I don't, I can't quite explain why. Yeah, I. it does. It Because I don't know why. It's the the look of it, the the color scheme or that whatever it is part of it yeah, it, that, yeah. Part was in, that was part that was intentional so when I was working with our DP Sabelle Martin when we were like pulling screen grabs and like looking at comps and like how we wanted to tell this story like we worked really closely together and that was a real delight and I, I will say to anyone if you have the opportunity to work with Sabelle Martin do it she is bold she is brave she brings really great ideas and and that came in like the color saturation yeah. you know and like yeah. we did we did want this very like rich patina and and that and especially in the Bronx world not as much in the Manhattan world but in the Bronx world and that was uh something that we worked on creating kind of together so yeah. I, you nailed that thanks Mike I love the one scene when you're when you're in the house next door and you're gathering as she's about to give birth. Everyone's kind of deciding that they have a role to play suddenly in a frenetic kind of way. It's a great scene. It's played out well. It and, and that's one of the benefits, just like in terms of, again, pulling back the curtain, one of the benefits of working with theater actors, because we got to rehearse that scene like a play, like we were doing a play, right? And so yeah. like coordinating who's going where, who's crashing into whom, who's falling, who's and, and that was so, so fun to do, especially with those two younger actors. It was a it was a real delight. That was one of my most favorite days on set. Is it Anya Mig Migdal who plays yeah. the the mom? The Russian neighbor. Tanya. The Russian neighbor. She's yeah. terrific. She I, it's not a big role, but she just nails it. Yeah, she's great. I think she's super great. And like, uh, you know, we met in an acting class, and one of the things that she had told me there was like you know, her parents are professors at Princeton and she decided to be an actor and she, uh, you know, go, was like getting called in to play like trafficked prostitute number four on Law and Order. And she was like, I know I'm capable of more. So I wrote the part for her and just like, well, what do we usually see Russian families do? There's a lot of stereotypes. And so how do we cut through those? And, and, and it ended up evolving into this like really lovely blended family that's like complicated and messy and very loving and and that was something that was a nice counterpoint to what Sarah was experiencing in her loneliness and and, yeah. and in the grief and then they them kind of like their warmth kind of like attracting her next door so that was a really delightful relationship to see play out on screen yeah it was terrific she was again she just wrote what a catalyst for that that kind of energy that she brought to to the, not only her role but it seemed to sort of emanate out from her to, to everybody that was in the family and, and yeah. so she did a great job well congratulations you made mention of this and i'll i'll mention it um queen of glory won a best feature film uh obviously best new narrative director at to the 2021 tribeca film festival it also won best feature film at the san diego international film festival was nominated for two spirit awards congratulations for that Thank all you. those things good things 
good things, Donna. And um, uh, I hope you're working on something new and exciting. And maybe that Spielberg script, maybe, maybe it's, it's, you're waving that around now and you're ready to go. And Masters, <laughs> yeah, the next galaxy, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy awaits, you know, or, or something. Or, right. That's how that works, right? You do a low budget NG and then you go and do a Marvel movie. That's They've all started in some manner of speaking, right where where we find Queen of Glory. And uh, yeah. well, congratulations. I've been an honor to talk to you. It's been a thrill. Uh, the Thanks film again, Queen of Glory. We've been talking with a director, writer, and lead actor, and that would be Nana Menza. Nana, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. This was a delight. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music